Well, good morning. Welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. We are so glad that you're here to worship. Would you stand with us as we sing? and the goodness of our God together this morning.
lifted up together all my life. God, don't we? Good morning. It is so good to see all of you here this morning. Thank you for joining us. We have a lot in front of us because it is May. Can you believe it? And I want to share a few things. We have um, the series, the new series starting on the book of Hebrews right after Mother's Day. And we hope that you will get a devotional guide um, that we have to partner with that in our foyer for $5. Um, you can get those today, or if you're not prepared to do that today, you can um, get them this week in the training center front desk for $5. Also this week, we have our National Day of Prayer on Thursday and want to invite you to come to our chapel between 7 and 4 so you can just spend some quiet time with the Lord, observe communion, 
just experience that. So you're invited to that. And at the end of this month, it is time for family camp. And so those of you with kiddos, this is a great time for you to invest in the spiritual development of your children. This is at New Life Ranch uh, for $25. You can't beat that. And you can register now through the QR reader. Go to the news section where you can find all things fellowship. That Saturday, May 29th, is designated for Bentonville families. And then Sunday is for Rogers and Springdale families. So Come make a memory. That's going to be a great way to do it. We also have something really excited. Ladies, heads up. Katie Langston is here. She is going to share something else with you. Hi, Katie. Hi. Thanks. So Fellowship is hosting a women's worship night. We are so, so excited. It's May 11th, which is a week from this upcoming Tuesday. So just a little over a week away. And it's going to be so much fun. We want to invite everyone to join. Um, invite all your friends, family, your neighbor, anyone you know. Ladies will be worshiping together. Just time to um, worship the Lord. We have some incredible worship leaders with us. And we can't wait to see you right in this room at 7 p.m. on May 11th. We are so excited. We sure hope you'll join us. And we now want to just lift this morning up to the Lord. Will you join me in prayer? Oh, Father, um, we are thankful for this day. Thank you, Lord, for just everyone that is here this morning. And we just ask that you quiet our hearts. And we ask that you remove any distractions that would keep us from focusing on you and your glory. You are so good. And so we pray you'll be lifted this morning in Jesus' name. Would you stand with us once again and let's sing of the greatness of our God. How great thou art, fix your eyes on him.
Thank you for your goodness and your greatness. You reveal yourself to us through your word and we thank you for your Holy Spirit within us. So God, now we humble ourselves before you as we hear from your word and testimony this morning. All glory be to you and you alone, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Question. Can God use a drug dealer, a known criminal, to help save the life and the soul of another person? Could the Lord use a thug, a person who perpetually operates in the shadows as a key component in another person's spiritual journey? Hmm. It's an interesting question. And by the end of the day, we'll answer it. You know, a good question can spark uh, transformation in the way that we think and we live. A good thought-provoking question can actually catalyze life change. Two weeks ago in our children's ministry, this question was asked of the children. If you could have anything as numerous as the stars in the sky, what would it be? I think their lesson was on Abraham. How would you answer it? If you could have anything as numerous as the stars in the sky, what would it be? One of our fourth graders named Nicole said this, rental properties. (laughs) Now, you know we're in a hot housing market, realtors, amen? Yeah, you know we're in a hot housing market in Northwest Arkansas when our nine-year-olds are not dreaming of Nintendo Switch or cotton candy or My Little Pony, whatever they're into. Nicole wants her own Airbnb empire. She wants 1,800 square feet with an open living plan near the bike trail and the airport, and she wants a bunch of them. Wow, what's up, Nicole? Those parents have some interesting home meetings. You know, a good question can spark transformational thought. The Bible's full of them. Right off the bat, Genesis chapter three, the Lord asked Adam and Eve, where are you? It'd be a great question for you to ask yourself today. Where are you? In your heart journey, in your faith journey, before the Lord, where are you? The psalmist asked the Lord in Psalm 139, where can I go to flee from your spirit? The Lord thundered from heaven in Job 38 and asked Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Pontius Pilate, while overseeing the trial of Jesus, actually asked Jesus, what is truth? 
Oh, I got a whole sermon on that. You'll have to come back. <laughs> Jesus asked his disciples a question we all have to ask in our lives. Matthew chapter 16. Who do you say that I am? Today, I want us to look at just one question in the Bible. And if you've got your Bible, open to Numbers chapter 11. If you don't, I'll have it on the screen. And we're gonna extract from a Bible story a good question. So let me set the scene for you for the story. So where are we at when it comes to the book of Numbers? So the book of Numbers comes sequentially right after the book of Exodus and Leviticus, but before the book of Joshua. And you know the book of Joshua because we just studied that. That's when Israel entered the promised land. The book of Exodus tells the story of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people leaving Egypt. They're in the Exodus. So Numbers is in between. So we've got the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. They're freed from slavery and bondage in Egypt, and they're on their way to the promised land. And there's about two million of them wandering around in the wilderness or the desert. Now, what would be the top two critical issues for two million refugees wandering in the desert? Food and water. In fact, food is going to be the core issue of the story today. And God had been providing for the nation of Israel food in the form of manna. Now, manna is a bread-like substance that appeared each day for the children of God on their journey. But they got tired of it. They got tired of eating manna every day. They got weary of there only being one item on the menu at Club Moses. And so look at verse 4. It says that the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if we only had meat to eat. Remember the fish that we ate in Egypt at no cost? Also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The crowds began to crave more variety in their food choices, and they complained, crying out loud, if we only had meat. They grew tired of the manna-only diet. They wanted protein. They wanted meat. They wanted fish. They wanted vegetables. And they became so discouraged, so disillusioned by their predicament that they actually began to rewrite their history. They began to remember Egypt with fondness. They began to think warmly of the place where they were um, enslaved, where Pharaoh, this uh, oppressive leader, had them forced into manual labor. They started to say, hey, remember when we were in Egypt and we were slaves? They had great seafood. And that salad bar was to die for. After the complaining, it didn't stop with just the crowds. It began to infect the leader, Moses, as well, look at verse 10. Moses went before the Lord. It says, Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tent. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land that you promised on oath to their ancestors? So verse 10 describes the situation. What a tense moment. The people were wailing. The Lord was angry. And Moses was troubled. Now we heard why the people were discontent because of the manna only diet. But why was the Lord angry? Think about it. He had just miraculously delivered the nation of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. They had been there 400 years. And he brought them miraculously through the Red Sea. He had been protecting them as they traveled around the wilderness. He had been providing food for them in the form of manna and, and water for them each day. And yet, they were ungrateful. They were discontent. They were complaining. And they even shockingly began to have warm affections for the oppressive place that the Lord had just delivered them from. And Moses went to the Lord and he's like, what have I done to deserve this? I, I, uh, I don't know that I can 
lead these people to the promised land. And after voicing his general complaints, Moses got to the heart of the matter. Look at verse 13. He says, Lord, bottom line here, where can I get meat for these people? They keep wailing and complaining to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden's too heavy. If this is how you're going to treat me, then go ahead and kill me. If I found favor in your eyes, do not let me face my own ruin. Moses went before the Lord and he says, give them meat or give me death. And in this moment, Moses was cracking under the pressure. He was exasperated. He said, I can't do this anymore, Lord. I can't listen to this endless complaining. Lord, give them what they want or put me down for good. Lord, if you care about me at all, you won't let me fail over this frivolous menu issue. And look at verse 18, the Lord answers his prayer. If you want meat, I'll give you meat. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves or prepare your hearts in preparation for tomorrow and you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If we only had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days, or five days, or 10 days, or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. I love the Bible. Why? Because you've rejected the Lord who is among you. And you've wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? The Lord's going to give them what they asked for, but he's also going to teach them a lesson. They were going to eat meat, but it wouldn't be for one day or even one week. It wouldn't even be for two weeks. They were going to eat meat every day for a month. Israel was being put on the carnivore diet. They were going to meet, eat, eat meat until they couldn't stand it, until they couldn't stop smelling it, and it was still in their nostrils. Have you ever had too much of your favorite food? At first, you crave it, and you can't wait for it, but if you eat it every day, it begins to get tiresome. A few years ago, I had the privilege of going to fish in Alaska. It's one of the greatest weeks of my life. And while we were there, we were catching salmon. And on the second day, I started to smell a, a barbecue, a, a, a grill. And I turned around, and our guide was cooking the salmon that I had just caught. I assume it's mine. I was in a party of five, but mine were probably the biggest. And <laughs> had the most meat for yield. I turn around, he's got a little grill in the boat and he's cooking a salmon that we had just pulled out of the, the river, the Naknek River, three minutes earlier. And I want to tell you, it was the best salmon I've ever ate. Anytime I've eaten salmon after, it pales in comparison. And you know what we ate the next day? Shore lunch, grilled salmon with rice pilaf. You know what we ate the next day? Shore lunch, grilled salmon. A couple of the guys started opting for the sandwiches they brought. When we got back to the lodge, you know what we had for our appetizer? Smoked salmon. Next night, salad with salmon. Next morning, smoked salmon with bagels. By the end of the week, it just wasn't as good. But I did bring home 40 pounds of it in a box on ice and brought it home to Amy and just, mm, I'm a stud. She cleaned out refrigerator space. We put it in there. And I cooked her salmon that I had just caught on our grill. It was fabulous. Then we had our children over the next night, and I cooked them. Guess what? And I still had 38 pounds left. <laughs> it got to the point where Amy just said, salmon disgusts me. And if you came to our house during that time, I know some of you did, what did I send you home with? Salmon. It was a weird ask. I'm like, hey, you want some salmon? And on the way out, people just open our freezer and start sticking planks of salmon in their purse. The Lord was teaching them a lesson. He was upset with them. They were ungrateful. They were longing for the oppression, for the bondage that they once lived in. And he had delivered them from that at their request. But the bottom line was they wanted meat. They were crying and wailing for meat. And the Lord was going to give them meat. So the matter was settled, right? Well, no, because Moses decided to question the Lord's ability to deliver on his promise of meat for a month. Look at verse 21. It says, Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot, and you say, 
I will give them meat to eat for a whole month? Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? Moses said, well, how are you going to pull this whole meat for a month thing off, Lord? I have 600,000 men. You add the women and the children were 2 million strong. Where are you going to get the groceries for that, Lord? Where's your inventory going to come from? How are you going to feed them every day for a month? I see some serious supply chain issues here, Lord. And Moses started calculating. Let's see, 2 million people are going to have a portion of protein for 30 days. So that's 60 million portions and a healthy portion being maybe six ounces. Moses says, Lord, you need 22,500,000 pounds of meat. Where's that going to come from? What farm has the flocks and the herds to support that? Even if you're, uh, we're able to, to harvest all the fish in the sea, Lord, it's not going to be enough. And Moses straight up questioned the ability of the Lord to deliver on his promise. He doubted the Lord's might. He had skepticism about the Lord's power and the Lord's capacity. And by the way, don't forget, the Lord's been providing for 2 million people manna and water every day of their journey. And at one point, he did provide them meat in the form of quail and fed the whole nation. Yet Moses asked him, are you sure you can deliver on this promise, Lord? Have you thought this through? And it's at this point in the story where we get our question of the day. Look at verse 23. The Lord responded to the skepticism of Moses with the question, the Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. The Lord said, are my arms too short, Moses? Am I unable to deliver on my promise? Am I limited in strength? Am I limited in might or power or capacity? Is there something beyond my reach, Moses? Hey, Moses, do I have T-Rex arms? You know, the T-Rex for a mighty and beautiful beast is very limited in its reach. You don't see a lot of T-Rexes asking questions in the classroom. They're very poor at hugging, scratching their back, tying their shoes, horrible at rowing a boat. Never can get much power. In our culture, we actually use the term T-Rex arms or its partner gator arms to describe a person who is limited in their effort or their ability. Have you ever been out to eat with someone who has gator arms when the check comes? The waitress or waiter brings the check and they're like, here, I'll get that. Waiting for someone across the table with a more generous reach. And you're like, thanks, I was gonna get it. Or how about in football? When the receiver goes across the middle, and instead of extending their arms for the catch, out of fear of getting hit, they shrink back. We call that gator arms. Are God's arms too short? Is he limited in ability or effort? That's the question to Moses. And don't forget, Moses had just recently experienced the power and the might of the Lord while Moses and his fellow Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, the Lord unleashed 10 plagues on their oppressor named Pharaoh. By the way, through Moses' staff on most of them. And when they got to the Red Sea, the Egyptian army behind them, God told Moses, raise your staff. And what did the sea do? It parted. Moses was not unfamiliar with the supernatural power and provision from the mighty hand of God. He had seen the power of God put on full display time and time again. Yet here was Moses doubting the sufficiency of the Lord's strength to do what he said he could do. It just doesn't make sense. Aren't you glad that we're not like that? Doubting the Lord's ability. Questioning the Lord's Promises, losing hope and God answering our cries for help. Can you think of a situation in your life where you've lost hope? 
or become skeptical of God being able to do his work? Is there someone in your life that you think is too lost to be found? Is there some obstacle in your life that you don't think God can get you past? You've quit believing in the Lord's mighty and powerful touch. Is there an area of your life where the Lord would just straight up ask you, are my arms too short? Am I not able? Well, it's getting a little personal, so let's go back to the passage. Moses questioned God's ability, and in the story, we get a definitive answer. Verse 31. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea, and it scattered them up to two cubits, or three feet, deep all around the camp. As far as a day's walk in any direction. And all that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 homers or over 3,000 pounds. Then they spread them out all around the camp. The Lord sovereignly and miraculously and powerfully provided meat for the nation. Inventory issue resolved. Delivery issue resolved. He provided more meat than they could ever imagine, more meat than they even knew what to do with. They were literally up to their knees in meat. So Israel had quail for dinner. Their cries to heaven were answered. They feasted on meat without complaint, and it was delicious. And then they had quail and dumplings the next night, quail tacos on Tuesday, then quail pot pie and quail stew. Then stuffed quail, and on Italian night, quail alfredo. Cajun night, quail gumbo. For a casual meal, they had quail hoagies. And so on and so forth for 30 days and they, till they couldn't stand even the smell of the quail. The story ends up with God bringing judgment in the form of a plague on Israel to show his displeasure for their ungrateful hearts the plague could have possibly been food poisoning from spoiled quail meat. Are the Lord's arms too short? Is God able? Do we serve a God with T-Rex arms? I want you to hear me today. That God can use whatever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants to impact whoever he wants. He is able. His reach is not too short. His ability is not deficient. His strength is not inadequate. His provision is not incomplete. His supply is not insufficient. His might is never impaired. Isaiah 59 verse 1 says, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 19, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are what? Possible. God is able. His reach is not too short. He can use whatever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants to impact whomever he wants. Now, remember, the question is about the ability of God, not the will of God. God is certainly able to do all things, but we have to remember that not all things asked for or desired are within his will or his plan. And add to that, remember that his children aren't always very cooperative. So let's ask the question of ourselves. So I ask you this morning, are God's arms too short? Are God's arms too short to deliver you into freedom from habitual sin in your life? Maybe you've struggled with anger or pride or lust or addiction and it's got its hooks in you and you've just given up. You quit praying and quit trying to pursue holiness. Are God's arms too short? Are God's arms too short to rescue someone that you love? Maybe it's a child of yours, a sibling, a parent, a coworker, a neighbor who's walked away from the Lord and is so far away, you begin to doubt that God could ever save or bring them back home. Maybe you're sick, sick of the body or, or, or sick in your heart. Are God's arms too short to heal you? Maybe you've got a really ugly relationship with your ex-spouse 
a former friend or coworker. There's ugliness and unforgiveness, and you think God could never bring you back together. I ask you, are the Lord's arms too short? Maybe you're worried about our nation, and I think you rightly should be, but I ask you, are the Lord's arms too short to bring revival? Just remember, guys, that God is able. He can do whatever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants, to impact whoever he wants. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 give us a promise. It says, now to him who is what? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, more than what you can even fathom or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for how long? Forever and ever and ever and ever. I want to give you two challenges this morning. The first challenge is that I want to ask some of you if you need to come back to Jesus. You're going through the motions. You're actually here at church, but your heart's far from God and you've lost hope. You've quit pursuing him and you've given up on prayer and you don't think things will ever change. But I think he brought you here for a reason today and I invite you to come home. Second challenge. Have you stopped praying for something that's really dear to your heart? Do you have someone you love a whole bunch who's walked away from the Lord and you don't see how he could bring them back. And so you just stop praying. My challenge is to start praying again. You spend more time complaining about our country and watching your favorite news channel than praying for revival. I challenge you to start praying again. I challenge you to start praying for that person that you can never imagine forgiving. To start praying for that temptation that you can never imagine yourself getting past. Come back to the Lord, come back in prayer. And let's do that right now. Would you pray with me? And I'm just gonna give you some moments of silence between you and the Lord to tell him whatever you want. Ask the Lord to bring something to your heart where you've lost hope. Take it to him in prayer. Well, Lord, forgive us where we've doubted you and your ability to do big things in our lives. Father, I pray that you would give our hearts refreshment and courage to pursue you and your will and your kingdom on this earth. Lord, I pray that as you have heard all of these prayers given today and through our online viewers, that you would hear and answer from heaven that you would put your mighty power on full display here on earth. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We still have a question to answer. So I asked you earlier, can God use a drug dealer to be a key component in the spiritual journey of another person? And I've asked my friend Rodney to come share his story and answer the question. Thanks, Sam. Morning Fellowship. Well, I found myself in the back of a police car after an intense interrogation, now fearing for my life. So how does a teenager end up in the back of a police car fearing for his life? Well, a brief backstory. I grew up in a very dysfunctional home. I had multiple stepfathers, and there was a common thread of, of drugs and alcohol abuse and physical, verbal, emotional abuse ran rampant in our home. I started using drugs with my mom and my stepdads uh, at a very young age, and I was literally clinging to anything and all things that could make me feel numb and to escape the pain and the dysfunction in my life. And mom would run from these broken men in our life, and we'd go from city to city and state to state, and never being able to establish any kind of relationships. And we found ourselves in another city, another state, and the narrative was exactly the same. 
And mom and her dysfunction and her brokenness, her addiction, and, and in her fear, wanting to flee, she wanted to leave that city again. But in my arrogance, in my pride, and in my punk attitude, I dug my heels in and I said, Mom, you go take care of what you need to take care of, but, but I'm going to stay here. And so she left. And I stayed as a young teenager in this place living with a drug dealer. Not a good choice. I lived in a, a pretty dark and, and evil place, and I was lost and didn't even know that I was lost. Just to give you a little bit of a glimpse of what this dark place looked like, I was at a party, there was drugs and alcohol, and, and the party took a hard right turn. And I heard, I can still hear the, the voice of this woman crying out, call 911, he's overdosing. It was a young couple that was at this party and he had gone into, the husband had gone into the bathroom to shoot up heroin and he overdosed. And I'll never forget seeing these two guys walk up to this young man that had overdosed, grab both of his arms, drag him out of that apartment several doors down to get away from that apartment and they left him and turned around and walked back into that apartment. By the way, his wife was a part of that group that walked back into that apartment so that they could finish using the drugs that they were interrupted from. Talk about a dark place, evil. I was a part of that. I contributed to that. I was lost and in this evil place with no sense of purpose or direction. This drug dealer friend that I was hanging out with was spotted carrying some stolen merchandise. And someone had reported it to the police, and so the police uh, gently invited me to the police station in handcuffs, arrested me, and took me down. I'd seen enough movies to know that you weren't going to get me to talk, right? I could be real tough, and that lasted about two minutes, and I spilled my guts. I just, what do you want to know? This is what he did. This is what happened. And now I'm in the back of this police car going back to the place that I hung out, and I'm afraid for my life. I had seen enough of people do the exact same thing that I had done that were there one day and gone the next. It wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when. I was fearful for my life, and I'll never forget looking at the, the rear view mirror of the eyes of the police officer, and with his compassionate eyes, and in his voice, he said, son, my advice to you is to get as far away from here as you possibly can. If you know someone or somewhere that you can go, my advice is you call them now and get out of here. And I knew he was right. I just didn't know how I was going to do that. And this is such an incredible picture of how God will use anyone and anything to accomplish when he wants somebody in his life to experience that life change. He'll use them. And the way he did that with me is he used a drug addict. And I still to this day, it blows my mind. This drug addict came to me and he said, I don't know why I'm doing this but I'm buying you a plane ticket to get out of this dark, evil place. What? And I got on a plane, I flew out of there, never went back. And now I'm living with my mom and my new stepdad, who was a roofer and a, a shingler, and he would chase these storms. And we ended up in a small town, none other than Marlow, Oklahoma. And now I'm back in school where I met one of the great men influencers in my life, Mr. Jimmy Taylor. He was my music teacher. And I actually started working part-time for him. I'm starting to build these relationships in my life. And it feels like there's some form of normalcy happening in my life. But the work dried up. And my stepdad said, it's time to go. It's time to go to that next town. And I pleaded with my mom, mom, please let me stay here. I want this life. I want something better. Please let me stay here. Just keep the, the house in your name. I'll make the payments. I'll work part-time. I'll go to school. Just let me stay here, Mom. And she agreed. And Mom is gone, and I'm by myself again as a teenager. Nobody else knows. I'm going to school. I'm working part-time. Some time passed, and I, didn't, I missed an electric bill and soon got the eviction notice. They thought they were serving my mom an eviction notice. They were serving me an eviction notice. And now I'm faced with a choice. Do I go back to that old, familiar, and comfortable life, even as dysfunctional as it was? Or do I seek out some new, healthy relationships, kind people that could help me stay on this path that I was on? I chose the latter. 
I got on my moped and I rode to Jimmy Taylor's house, my music teacher who I was working for, and I said, I called him T. T, you don't know this, but I've been living by myself, trying to make ends meet, going to school, and I've just been evicted. Would you have any space for me just to come live with you for just a little while? And understandably, he said, Rodney, our daughter has grown. She's married. She's moved out. We're getting close to retirement. I don't know if we're in a season of life that we can invite a young teenager into our home. And I understood, but I was devastated. And I got on my moped and I rode back to my place and I cried all the way home, not knowing what in the world am I going to do, God? I'm shoving things in my backpack and I look out that front window and who's pulling in my driveway but Jimmy Taylor and his brown pickup truck. I walked around to the front door and as I walk out in the front yard, he's already got my moped in his hands, putting it in the back of his pickup with that smile on his face. He said, I talked to my wife, Barb. You're coming home with us, Rodney. He said, one of the things that's a requirement to live with us, though, is you got to go to church with us. I'm like, who cares? Just give me a place to live, right? But I didn't know Jesus was working on me long before I came to this very moment. And it was there through their influence and going to that small First Baptist Church in Marlowe, Oklahoma, that Jesus rocked my world, got a hold of my heart, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Yes. That's when God started taking me from hopelessness and darkness to light and hope. And I didn't know this. Jimmy Taylor, being a music teacher, he started to pull out these gifts that I didn't even know I had. You can sing, Rodney. And he started working with me on getting a music scholarship. And guess what? I got the music scholarship, and I'm now in college, and I'm going, college? I never even thought about college, let alone would I live long enough to even think about college. And now I'm going to college. That's where I met my beautiful wife, Carol, where we would start this beautiful family. Incidentally, we ended up naming our daughter Taylor after Jimmy and Barbara Taylor that you see in that photo. I love that photo. I love the way they smile and the joy that they have in their face. God started using and taking me and my wife on this path of being able to experience life change. And now, through this long path, he took us to this ministry called Celebrate Recovery. I'm in my 16th ministry year at Fellowship here with Celebrate Recovery, helping other people face their hurts so that they don't have to live in those unhealthy hangups and in those habits and repair those broken relationships. And I love how God is using me and my wife in Celebrate Recovery. He's not wasting those hurts. But you know, one of the greatest expressions of God's fingerprints is that photo that you see on the screen. That's my family. That's my daughter, Taylor, and her husband, Luke, my son, Jason, and his wife, Leisha, and my beautiful son and grandson, Beckett. That doesn't happen without God's outstretched arms and influence in my life. I was thinking about Sam's question, are God's arms too short? And maybe you're sitting here doubting the power, the ability of God. Can I just tell you that God's strength, his power never falls short. He's always involved and he will use anyone whenever, whatever it takes to invite his children back to himself. That's how much he loves us and he is a mighty powerful God. It reminds me of the scripture that says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the entire world seeking to show himself powerful in those whose hearts are whole toward him. I didn't know it. But God was looking for me. He wanted to make my heart whole and yes, he'd use a drug dealer. He would use a drug addict. And yes, he would use a music teacher and his wife, Jimmy and Barbara Taylor to influence me to bring me back to himself. Never doubt God's ability. He loves you. He cares for you. He's willing. And yes, he is able. Thanks so much for letting me share. Where would we be if it weren't for Christ? I'm going to sing this over you this morning.
As we leave this place, would you teach us to trust and to obey and to walk by your spirit, to live in truth and grace, to be your hands and your feet. We love you and we fix our eyes on you this week and pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning, fellowship. If you'd like prayer this morning, the Stevens are in the prayer room. They'd love to pray with you, over you, for you. Go in peace and love this week.